Let us pray. God, we give thanks for your living word and by the power of your spirit at work through it and in us, may we receive it as your living, transforming word in our lives and this church. In Jesus' name we make our prayer. Amen. We have been looking at the book of Jeremiah this fall and at this prophet Jeremiah who had a particularly difficult message from God to give the people for a 40-year span. Basically, the message entailed letting the folks know that they were going into exile, away from their beloved homeland and, and into exile, largely, primarily because of their disobedience. And today our reading is from chapter 28, but first a little context, chapter 27. Chapter 27, the prophet Jeremiah begins wearing a yoke. A yoke is this fitting, it's often made of wood with leather straps attached to it, and it goes around the neck of an animal, like an ox or a donkey, and the, the fitting would be connected around to the other end to a plow or a cart so that the ox or the donkey could haul these huge, large loads. Well, Jeremiah is told by God to start wearing a yoke because it's a symbol of what God is doing. And what God is doing is calling all kinds of nations, including the house of Judah, the the people of God, to be yoked, tethered, bound to the Babylonian Empire. They shall be a servant tethered to this pagan foreign power. And if they resist, it will actually go worse for them. As you can imagine, it's not a terribly popular word from the Lord. It it calls people not to defend their beloved Jerusalem, but but in fact, surrender. It tells the people there will will not be some miraculous deliverance, but they need to settle in for the long haul of exile under foreign rule in this new reality. It implies here in chapter 27, and it's overt other places, that that their many years of disobedience are, are, are what has led to this kind of consequence, this new reality. And... In chapter 27, very briefly, Jeremiah does also say that after a long period of exile, there will eventually be freedom. Having proclaimed his prophecy, wearing a yoke, we get to Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 1 through 11, our Old Testament reading for today. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of King Zedekiah of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, the prophet Hananiah of Azur from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place King Jeconi, son of Jehoiakim of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord, and the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Listen now to this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times, they prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, 
When the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, this is how I will break the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went his way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapters 18, chapter 18, verses 38 and 39. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Jesus speaks a word about following in the way of truth. And in verse 38, we hear this, What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, Pilate went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against Jesus. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was listening to a story on the radio the other day. A story about two brothers, 180 and 185 years old. The 80-year-old's name is Buzz Goldstein. He lives in Montreal. And on Yom Kippur, the day of Jewish atonement... Buzz's son, Jonathan, calls him up and says, How would you feel about paying a visit to your brother, Sheldon? Sheldon is the 85-year-old brother. Sheldon lives in Florida. Things have been pretty bad between these two brothers for the past 40 years. They've not seen each other for 20 years since mother's funeral. A few rare phone calls in between. The son, Jonathan, can see that his dad and uncle aren't getting any younger. They need... Sometime to figure out forgiveness, reconciliation, maybe. Well, somehow, Jonathan convinces his father, Buzz, to go and see Sheldon down in Florida. Convinces Sheldon to let them come down to Florida. So the two of them travel on down to Florida. It's going to be a two-day visit, day one. The brothers see each other for the first time in 20 years, and they fall right back into this great spot. They're telling all the old stories of growing up. They're giving all these updates on who's died where folks have moved. Starts to get a lot snippier and short as the day wears on, but on the whole, the topics are, are small talk. The son, Jonathan, he tries very intentionally to invite them to go through some of the stories of their early informative years, knowing some of them are unresolved. In particular, there's this story that Buzz, his father, has told him over and over again about how when Buzz was five and Sheldon was nine, their mother was beaten by their father over and over. And and so one day she just runs out. Well, then she did come back the next day, very briefly. She came back with a police officer and she got Sheldon, the older brother. And she left Buzz. Eventually she would return again. The brothers and the parents would, would grow up under one roof. But at that moment... There was an indelible oppression left upon Buzz. Buzz lived all his years knowing for some mysterious reason his mother had not wanted him in the most dire of times but Sheldon. It poisoned his relationship with Sheldon. It was the seed from which a lot of acrimony would be built. He'd have a chip on his shoulder all his life, always very sensitive to slights and perceived slights. When Jonathan threw the the story on the table on day one, the brothers avoided it. They did their best to act like they turned a corner. 
those hurts, those jealousy, no need to go there. They, bygones are bygones. We're just back to where we once were. And in believing, they could, they could just turn a corner like that and be back to how it was. Buzz and Sheldon were in some way, at some level, living out a theology of the prophet Hananiah. Because you heard, in essence, Hananiah's message to the king of Judah and the, and the people of Judah is that in a very short time period, no more than two years, they're going to turn a corner. They're not going to have to face any real suffering, real pain, no mention of needing to confess past sins, acknowledging why they're even in this space. Hananiah's exact words are, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, all the vessels that were taken, all the people that were taken, they're going to be right back just like we had it. And at one level, Hananiah's prophecy takes seriously scripture. Leviticus, God is reminding the people of of the great deliverance out of Egypt. I delivered you up from out of Egypt. I broke the bars of your yoke. A prophet like Hananiah can say, we have a yoke-breaking God, not a yoke-tethering God, especially not to a pagan nation. Or again, Psalm 48 is one of a few we could choose. Listen to how how it speaks of the city of Jerusalem. Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces and they advanced together, they saw her, Jerusalem, and were astounded. They fled in terror. You, Lord, destroyed them. In the city of the Lord Almighty, God makes her secure forever. Why would any prophet speak a word of surrendering Jerusalem when they have this kind of assurance in Scripture? Hananiah's message is very much in keeping with the assurances of Psalm 48. Regardless of what Scriptures may or may not have played into Hananiah's discernment, the point is we have, at Jeremiah 20, chapter 28, two prophets speaking a word from the Lord, and they could not be more different. The yoke must be worn. For the long haul, we're stepping into a new reality we would not have chosen, but we must go. It is the way unto freedom. The yoke is broken. Bygones are bygones. We are going to be back to how it was in no time. Freedom is right around the corner. Who's telling the truth? It is a living question then as it is in every generation. Attractive, as Hananiah's words are, I think... Something for us does sound off about it. Something about it sounds so good and and then also sounds a bit like a fad diet, a get-rich-quick thing. In fact, if we think about it, it sounds not unlike Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Satan, by the way, uses scripture to tempt Jesus. And one of those temptations, right, is promising Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow before me. No real cost, no real suffering, no real pain. Something about Hananiah's prophecy just sounds a little off. And perhaps we can name it more precisely what that off portion is when we learn that Hananiah's name means the Lord is gracious. And it's true, his message appears abundantly gracious. But it is, as Bonhoeffer would eventually put it, a cheap graciousness, a cheap grace, a grace, quote, that is the preaching of forgiveness, all is past, without requiring repentance, a grace without discipleship, a grace without the cross. 
Buzz and Sheldon were hoping that a cheap grace could reconcile them on day one. They brushed about their their past hurts, the past sins, the painful stories, and said, it's all fine, bygones are bygones. And yet Jonathan could tell something was off about the whole thing. Their words were, bygones are bygones, all is forgiven, it's just like it was. But the tenor of their voice and their body language said otherwise. Both men, their voice spoke with increasing agitation in the day, increasing annoyance, little passive-aggressive digs. When Buzz leaves Sheldon's house that night at the first day and goes back to the hotel room, he's quiet and his face is visibly tense. How often it is the body that tells the truth, even as our words may be saying something else. That is how Hananiah's prophecy is discovered. In the final verse of chapter 28, which I did not read, we read just two months after Hananiah's confident prophecy, Hananiah the prophet died. This is scripture's no-nonsense way of making it clear that the body told the truth. Hananiah's body died because the message was a dead message, a false message. Bygones are bygones. The, pain has, uh, the past has no bearing. The pain, the hurt need not be acknowledged. The way of, of patience and... We're turning a corner right now. But the body will not lie. How often we ourselves are tempted to cling to hopeful words of a quick turnaround, but our body betrays another truth. Marriage is great. Little rough patch, fine. As the foot taps frantically under the table. Things are are rolling along at, at work. I mean, it's a little stressful, but really happy on the whole. But we feel the eye twitch and the stomach churn with knots. Church is great. Church is great. You know, we're going to get a couple things, tighten the ship up this way and get this going and, and really going to be, be back to just, just how it was. But sometimes the body of believers is so busy and tired trying to make it so. I'm over it. We're over it. We can't explain the tears that come in our dreams or the way that name still sets our body off. All of us are tempted, particularly in trying times, transitional times, painful times. All of us are tempted to believe something of Hananiah's message. Sure, there's a short period of pain, a couple years, but then we put on our best face and talk about, you know what, though? God is faithful and we're going to be fine. It's going to be just like it was. In fact, it's already kind of there. Because if we put on a good face, we can tell ourselves that we can move forward without any kind of confessing, any kind of repenting, any kind of honest lament and truthfulness. We can move forward without or at least diminishing, right, pain. But notice the expression, put a good face on. Because humans, we recognize the body does not want to lie, and so even the body is going to have to be covered. The prophet Jeremiah has a much harder word for us to hear. It is one that invites honesty and therefore freedom. Jeremiah invites the people of God to acknowledge their past sin, to confess it, 
to confront and not avoid the pain, the grief of this new reality of exile, to enter in with a different level of patience. This is going to be a long road, but a road of freedom. Day two, the second and final day of this short visit, Jonathan decides now is never for these two brothers. Sheldon, what do you remember about that day when your mother came back for you and not my dad? He knew his dad's version. For whatever reason, the brothers decide to wear the yoke. And as the story unfolds, Sheldon talks about the time that the times that his dad would beat him mercilessly. Buzz, the younger brother, didn't have that same experience. In fact, he had no idea dad had been this way with Sheldon. For the first time in Buzz's life, he saw another side of the story. Mother came back to save Sheldon's life. She could financially only support one of them, and she knew Buzz, the younger brother, would be fine. And he was. Buzz has never heard this side of the story, and he starts to soften considerably as he hears of the pain his older brother endured, assuming all along the older brother was the golden and the chosen child. Sheldon, in turn, starts to soften. Buzz, I was a mean older brother to you. Buzz softens even more. But you were good to me. You were there when Grandma died. I was mean, though. What older brother is it? You were good, too. The day ends and... Sheldon, whose house is in Florida, he points across the street and he says to Buzz, that house just came on the market. Here's the asking price if you want to move across the way. And Buzz, on the way to the airport, he turns to his son who's in the car with him and says, I feel so different. You know that? I feel different, Johnny. I just feel so different. And then I love the final line of the story that the father tells the son. This has taken a lot off my shoulders because the body never lies on day two the brothers did not pretend that they could just break the yoke of past sins and grief like they tried on day one on day two they wore the yoke they walked straight along that long road of pain and grief for 40 plus years and the yoke did break but only by way of pain and confession and sacrifice of pride How are we being called to a day two faith? A Jeremiah faith. Where is God calling us as individuals and as a church to to stop saving face, putting up a good appearance, clenching the jaw, gripping tightly, tapping nervously, but instead go honestly along the wrong road of forgiveness or reconciliation? Where is God inviting us to a new honesty about accepting and growing into this new reality into which we've fallen or been drawn upon and we can't act like it's ever going to be the same? Where is God asking us to to go there in our shared history and grieve and confess and repent and try to stand with Buzz who tries now to understand Sheldon's perspective fully aware that the angst-filled reality of our country today has everything to do with where we've been. How is God calling the church on the long and continual road of admitting and in grieving and confessing that the church of North America is not going to look like what it once did? <laughs>
And we must humbly continue to learn the timeless faith, faith in a new land. Where is God calling us to a hard truth unto freedom? Which is really asking, where is God calling us to follow Jesus? Because many years after Jeremiah prophesied, Jesus would stand before Pilate, and Pilate would ask, what is truth? And Jesus gives no response. Instead, in the silence, Pilate and all of these onlookers are drawn simply to stare at the body of Jesus as they await an answer. And as the silence goes on longer and longer, perhaps it dawns on them, Jesus being perfectly clear, he himself is the truth. And where does the truth go next in the story? His body is beaten, persecuted, crucified, broken, and shed. With his body, with his very life, he proclaims that the path of true freedom is a path through pain, through the injustice. A path that believes sin is not just broken with a simple break of the yoke, but, that, but the yoke of sin must be worn and acknowledged upon the body for three long days. And then ultimately broken in resurrection in a body that does not lie. And then Jesus calls us the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. What grace. And he calls us to walk in the same path of truth. What cost? We need fuel for that journey. May we feed at this table today and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work through the broken body and blood shed, may we be nourished upon the way of truth. The way of the cross, the way of confession, the way of grief, the way of patience, the way of honesty. The road where we do not hold it all together just like we need to, where we want to, but in fact are broken unto the will of God. And also the road where finally our shoulders feel so light. For indeed it is upon this road alone where the Savior is so very faithful to paradoxically take the yoke even in our bearing of it. My yoke is easy. What a wonderfully hopeful truth our bodies shall proclaim when we walk in the way of the cross and we proclaim the reasons that our shoulders are so yoked and at the very same time lighter than they've ever been. Amen.